It's Tuesday, guys, and the Blue Bloods are here with another loaded episode full of college football content for all our listeners out there. We do come a day late. We apologize for that, especially to listeners like Brian McKinnell, who rely on these episodes to get through their Monday. But we start the episode off by debating if we could see an increase in transfers from conferences that cancel or delay the college football season. And then we continue with our newer segment, Hot Seat Watch, where we analyze which college football coaches in each conference are on the hot seat, and we go and analyze the Big 12 today. We then discuss Tolua Takvaloa's transfer decision and if he made the right choice here. And we wrap up the episode with another recruiting update, and we focus on Brandon's favorite team, the Texas Longhorns, and their quest to finally, really and truly, be back. But guys, it's about that time, so let's kick it off. So to start off with, as I already said, we're going to talk about this transfer portal and how it could be affected by COVID-19. So this upcoming season is still very much in question, uh, especially with the differing reactions across the countries between states, etc. cetera. Uh, the Pac-12 season is, mo- is probably the most in jeopardy, while the SEC, based on everything we've been given, is looks like it's ready to go. Uh, this has created speculation on whether players at programs like Oregon USC that may cancel or delay the season could utilize the potential change in transfer and transfer rules next year to go ahead and play. And in case you missed that debate, the NCAA is talking about allowing players a one-time transfer in their NCAA career, which really could great, greatly impact the transfer portal. So Brandon, what are your thoughts on this? And if you were a player at a school that canceled the season or delayed it, would, would you transfer somewhere to play? Uh, yeah, man, I, I think I think you kind of have to, right? I, I mean, are you going to give up one year of your college football career just so that you, I don't know, just, just because your team that you're with, uh, the team that's not paying you, the team that you're, I mean, you're there voluntarily, uh, wants you to stay. No, I don't think you do. I mean, if you're, if you're a team, if you're a player that has like great potential, you think that you're going to go be drafted next season, but you really need to prove yourself or next year, but you really need to prove yourself this season. Why would you just sit around and wait? You, I mean, you got to go do something, right? So transfer to that team that, that needs you. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of an example. I probably should have taken better notes, but uh, I mean, for instance, I mean, what if you're Keaton Slovis here? What do you do if, if USC cancels their season? I mean, you're one of probably the best, one of the best younger quarterbacks in the, in uh, college football right now. Are you going to sit around and watch? I mean, I mean, players like Sam Howell just excel levels ahead of you. I mean, in that in that class, uh, he's going to be your competition once you get to the NFL draft. I mean, you're both in the same draft class. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't think that you can sit around and watch that happen. I think you have to transfer to a team. I mean, is in this specific case. I mean, Keaton Slovis is good enough to go play at. I don't want to say any program in the country, but I mean. He could play at a lot of at a lot of different programs. I mean, in a lot of different conferences. Um, I'm not saying that any teams up for grabs here, but I think that a lot of teams are up for uh, teams are up for grabs here. Uh, I think that he could be a player in the SEC. I mean, 
Uh, you're telling me he's not better than Mississippi State's starting quarterback? I, I'm just saying you can't sit around and watch these players excel while you're sitting there on the, uh, you know, uh, not even in the locker room. I was going to say sitting there in the locker room, but you're not probably not allowed in team facilities during this time. So, yeah, I think that if I'm a player, I'm transferring, and I think it's a good idea to let players transfer. Uh, that way they don't fall behind, like, I, like I've been har- uh, harping on here for going on three minutes now. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think this is going to be a huge problem in the, for the upcoming season, especially in the Pac-12. We've already seen the Pac-12 kind of fall behind a lot of these major conferences. And, you know, Oregon's already placing restrictions stretching all the way into September already on sporting events. California and other Western states are predicted to soon follow suit. And this could leave the Pac-12 without a football season in general, or it could greatly, and that could greatly affect national powerhouses like USC and Oregon. If I was a student athlete and I was allowed one free transfer, or I still had my redshirt year available, like Keaton Slovis, then I'm gone. And it may sound selfish to bail on a program due to something like this, but I would want to play the sport I came to college to play. I mean, Brandon, we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast, but how valuable is one year? To a to a position like a running back or cornerback who have shorts who already have a short shelf uh, shelf life in in NFL locker rooms. I mean, running backs get maybe one good contract on their career, and you're going to push your career back one more year. I don't think that's a smart move. Uh, I, you know what? It actually might be a good move for a running back. I know this is kind of going off topic here, but I mean, the less touches you get, the more shelf life you have, right? Uh, it's not like you're going to sit there and and you know, lose your abilities because you don't play for a year. Uh, if, if you're not getting that many touches for a year, you kind of have time to recover. But I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, but I, I mean, yeah, you don't get as much touches. But if if you have a choice of a running back, because let's just say they don't play in the instead of like gives them another year of eligibility in the draft, I'm taking a running back who might be two years younger than you because I should be able to get more out of them. Right. Yeah, no, I definitely understand that. And, you know, I think quarterbacks the same way. And I think decisions have to be made to further players' careers and also support their well-being. Like, you know, th- why not leave a dormant Pac-12 conference or a potentially dormant Pac-12 conference and get to play in the SEC, Big 12, or ACC who should have seasons? It could have long-lasting changes for everyone involved. So, Brandon, I kind of wanted to bring up this hypothetical for you. Wouldn't the NCAA have to step in and help these schools? So, like, let me just throw this at you. What if Oregon has something like 15 players leave? Yeah, uh, yeah it's going to be. How, how, long, how long will that push this program back? I would say multiple years, right? Yeah, um, probably. I mean, they have to sit there and basically rebuild. I mean, when have you heard of a college football team having to rebuild? You don't really hear that because you have so many players in and out. It, it that would definitely be a a new concept, um, and it would it would suck really. <laughs> that would be awful. Yeah, I mean, what? So, do you have any ideas? Maybe I mean, what could the NCAA do to help that program? I mean, because I feel like the NCAA's hands are tied, even though they should do something. I don't feel like they can. I mean, if they don't allow players from these programs to transfer, then everyone's going to scream that the NCAA is this or that, and that the players should have more freedom. But if the NCAA allows players to freely transfer, you're pretty much decimating college football on the West Coast. 
All right, guys. So here's here's what I like to call uh, Brandon goes down the rabbit hole and and just I'm going off the dome right here is what I'm doing. So the first thing that popped in my head is, hey, there should only be a set number of players who can transfer. Then my second thought was, you know, that's not fair to the players at all. You know, you can't have you can't have that limit at like, hey, 10 players can transfer. Then if you're not the first 10, then oh, well, you have to stay. You can't do that. If you're going to grant that that privilege to, to one player, you have to grant it to everybody. Uh, so the second thing that came to my head was, well, all these players can transfer, but if you're a team that hits a certain number of players who do transfer, maybe you get some kind of uh, reward from the NCAA. Maybe they allow you, maybe they give you like a scholarship, like a bump in scholarships for the next season, something like that. Would that, do you think that would play? I, I think so. I mean, of course, increasing scholarship limits would help, but I don't think it would help them, you know, get these elite recruits. I mean, I think it would have to be some type of funding or something because, I mean, their funding is going to be the big thing, too. I mean, I, I'm, Oregon might be okay because, you know, they, ha- they have a lot of backing from Nike. But what about a school like Washington State? I mean – who already doesn't dominate in recruiting, does an increase the scholarship limit to really help them? Yeah, you know, I, I really do think that they would, and that's why I brought it up. I mean, I think that, you know, you give these players more scholarship limits, they, uh, I mean, they're able to, um, they're able to raise, I guess, what they can offer to players. I mean, a team like Oregon, it would really, I mean, it would really help them out a lot. Obviously, I mean that's a team that year in year out they're they're giving away um, you know those twenty five scholarships. You know they get more, they're able to rebuild that program a little bit faster. But I do see how that could be a little bit unfair, uh, especially in in the Pac twelve. I mean you have school like you have schools like Oregon, uh, USC, and UCLA, Stanford, uh, and Washington that are going to give out all of their scholarships anyway. Then you have other schools that hey someone may transfer out, but you may not get somebody else in. I mean let's talk about like the Arizonas of, of college football who may not give all 25 scholarships out year to year because they might not have that. I mean, does that make sense? I, I, I see where the flaws lie, but I think that the gesture of offering more scholarships might speak more um, or might, might appeal to teams more than just doing nothing for them. Yeah, I, I I understand. I think it would help programs a little bit. I think there also needs to be some financial considerations to taken in. Can they necessarily offer anything to help some of these programs? Uh, I really just think, you know, uh, these Pac-12 teams have to look and try to try to do something to fight this. I mean, yeah, it might sound weird, you know, hearing a college football podcast host give it give legal advice on this but i mean i just feel like you you have to fight back man i mean you got to fight for the college football season because if every other conference in the country's playing then it just almost makes zero sense why they should not be able to play do you, i mean do you see what i mean i mean that's millions to billions of dollars that you are that they're depriving from these schools by not letting them play if the rest of the country can play no, I definitely understand what you're saying. And yeah, I don't know if we're the best people to give legal advice. Maybe we should get Nick back on. He can uh he's our lawyer, by the way, in case in case anyone was wondering. He's he's the only he's the only <laughs> he's the only person we know with with any kind of uh legal experience. So that's that's why he's our lawyer. He hasn't even told us that he's our lawyer. Is that can I say that? Yeah, I'm I'm gonna run with it. 
uh, you got to ask a lawyer if it's okay to like claim a lawyer. But, uh, you know, guys, I think this is going to be a sticky situation for the Pac-12 instead of like everyone involved. But I, I think the only thing we can be sure about is that if the Pac-12 can't play, I don't think the instant play is waiting on them. I think we'd just see a season with a, a power four conference <laughs> season. I, I don't think the Pac-12 is going to hold, you know, the NCAA back. Yeah. So this is going to be a storyline to watch moving forward. I think this is, the, this is the perfect time to move the AAC up and knock the Pac-12 down. I think I a thousand percent agree on that. I, th- I think we should move the pack the, the AAC up anyway, but no, we'll see on that. But for right now, guys, we're going to move on. Second segment of the day, and it's Hot Seat Watch again. And we can, t- and as we continue this segment, in case you missed the last two episodes, this is where we break down which head coaches are on the hot seat going into this upcoming season across each and every conference. We take it to the Big 12 today. So I'll let Brandon kick this one off. Which head coaches in this conference do you feel are on the hot seat right now? I'll be honest with you, Zach. When I was looking through these coaches and and looking at what they've done at their uh, respective programs, I only had one coach on my hot seat for this upcoming season. Um, and if you had one guess as to who it was, who would you say? Um, I gotta say, I know you. Your horns down for life, so it's got to be Tom Herman. You're right. It's Tom Herman. Tom Herman. I mean, is he? Let's talk about the expectations of this guy first of all, right? I mean, before he got to Texas. He was uh, look. He was he's going to be the next best thing. He was the reason that Texas was back. Uh, he gets there. You know, obviously there's a scandal, and that, we're not even here to talk about that. We're just here to talk about how he's been coaching. It, it's just, I mean, overall been dis, uh, disappointing. Uh, you know, to be frank about it. I mean, his overall record with Texas has been 25 and 15. That's not good. Uh, in case anybody was wondering, that's pretty bad. In his three seasons there, he's he's 25 and 15. And that's the Texas team. Uh, and I understand that Texas hasn't really been great in the past, what, it, 10, 10 years? I mean, 2009, they made the national championship. But since then, what have they done? You know, not a lot. But, I mean, it, to me, this is sort of a similar situation uh, to Michigan's, right? You know, you, you – and I and I'm gonna I'm gonna that to expose myself here um, for going back on my takes. I guess I'm not really going back, but uh, I could compare Tom Herman to Jim Harbaugh. I mean, do you see what I'm saying, Zach? Uh, they're two guys that have gone to story franchises or story team. I say franchises, story teams in college football, and they've underperformed year in and year out. Uh, they they don't beat. You know, certain teams they they come out and they can they can talk all they want, but they they can't perform in big games. Uh, they have all the talent in the world, and they have these coaches that everybody loves to hang their hat on, but these coaches aren't doing very good. Um, and I'd say that Jim Harbaugh is doing a lot better than Tom Herman, but that's the closest that's the closest uh, uh, scenario I could think of. You know, it, it's it's tough when you're at a team like Texas. I mean, a true blue blood program. And, and over the past three seasons or four seasons or not four over the past few seasons, you've gone 25 and 15, right? That's to me, I don't see how, if you, if you have another eight and four, seven and five season, I don't, I don't see how you continue on if, if you're Tom Herman here. 
I like the pick. I just I think he's going to get saved, man. Uh, we're going to cover them a little bit later in the show, and I'll explain why I think he's going to get saved. And as if you guys know the show, it's the recruiting update. He gets saved by recruiting, in my opinion. I don't mind the pick though. If things go extremely south, I mean, there's like a four and eight, five and seven season for Texas. I definitely could see it, but right. I think they're going to be around nine and three again, well, something like that. And I think they're going to keep them because and, of that. And let me add something else on to my argument for Tom Herman being on the hot seat real quick. It's not like he's the greatest guy in the world either. Right. <laughs> you know? I didn't really want to talk about this a lot, but, but that's not saving him. If anything's saving him, you know, it's, it's what you're alluding to now. And I won't, I won't burst your bubble, but uh, I don't, I don't think that there's a lot working for him. You know, he's not he's not winning the games he needs to win, and he's not just like a super good guy that all the players love. He's, you know, he's he's Tom Herman, and so I don't know. I, I, so I, I got I got one question to ask you though. Go ahead. Has he beaten Oklahoma? Uh, yeah, right. Didn't he? Yeah, yeah. That's the one thing that separates him and Jim Harbaugh. He can beat the rival. Yeah, but they when have the rival is at their peak. Okay, that's a good point. That's yep, fine. That's all I'm saying. I, you, you keep. I don't know if I'd if I'd put Oklahoma on Ohio State's level quite yet. Uh, I mean, uh, Oklahoma when, Oklahoma's made the playoff more than Ohio State has. Yeah, but they've they haven't won a single college football playoff game like Ohio State has. That's also fair enough. I'll give you that, but you know. I think Brandon kind of said this, uh, you know, this was this was a hard conference to pick because this conference has a lot of safe, not on the hot seat coaches. I mean, whether it be new or young coaches or just coaches with enough experience to buy themselves a few years of bad seasons. I mean, you have coaches like Dave Aranda just walked into Baylor. Neil Brown's only in his second year at West Virginia. Chris Kleiman, second year at K-State. Les Miles just got to Kansas. But I'm going to have to go with a coach here that I think a lot of listeners weren't expecting, and I definitely know Brandon probably wasn't expecting him. This might be a controversial opinion here, but I'm going to go with Gary Patterson at, at TCU. Oh, uh, God. And if this happens, I think this would be probably one of the biggest coach firings in recent memory. Uh, you know, I'm going to start with the positives and then I'm going to work my way down. Um, Patterson has had success at TCU, guys. He was hired all the way back in the year 2000, and he's won a conference title in every single conference that TCU has been in in that span. The CUSA, the Mountain West, and the Big 12, TCU's won a conference title in all three of those conferences under Gary Patterson. He's also won multiple Coach of the Year awards during his tenure at TCU, a lot of them. And I think this bought him a few seasons of mediocrity, but he's already used up three of them. And I think if he has a fourth, which I expect him to have, I think they're going to move on. And I want to kind of highlight what I mean by that. So TCU was a powerhouse, went to the Rose Bowl, you know, won the Big 12 in 2014. But in the past, Three out of the four years, TCU has been mediocre at best. And Brandon, in 2016, they went six and seven. And the three most embarrassing losses were to Arkansas, Texas Tech, and a rebuilding Kansas State team. Not not a great look there. No, 2017, they 
they rebounded. But then in 2018, they lost to Kansas, who was the worst team in Division One, and Texas Tech, who was not great in 2018. And they went 7-6. That's fine. But then last year, Brandon, they had they went 5-7 and seven and lost to SMU, who's not a group of five team. They lost to West Virginia, who was one of the worst teams in the, conf- in the, in the conference last year, and then a Kansas State team under a first-year head coach. Not great, and you miss the bowl game and have a losing record. Yeah, but I mean, That's, I don't know. I don't know, man. I get it. I, I definitely oh. understand it, uh, and and I don't, I don't disagree with the take. I don't hate it, but I don't know. Uh, my argument was that that he's done pretty well over his. I mean, like you said, he's won he's won conference championships in every conference he's been at. Um, but yeah, the past few seasons, I mean, that can lose you your job. One bad season can lose you. Can lose you your job. I mean, four in a row, it's almost certain. Yeah, and you know, he's just had too many losses to mediocre teams, and missing a bowl game in back to back seasons is not acceptable here. Dude, he I has, think he needs to compete for the. He has Zach up? Evans. He has Zach Evans now, though. Yeah, if he's even eligible. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. That's a whole nother debate right there, but. I mean, Brandon, look at their schedule, though. I'll, I'll run it down with you. I, I have six surefire losses on this schedule, in my opinion. That's okay. And then yeah. there's then there's three more I could easily see them losing. They open up the season traveling all the way to Cal, okay. who was in a bowl game last year and won it. And then they have to travel to SMU who is probably one of the better group of five teams in the nation. What do you mean they have to travel they lost 20 last minutes? Year. They have to travel 20 yeah, okay. minutes. Yeah, 20, yeah, 20 minutes, but it's still a home game at SMU, and I bet you that stadium is going to be packed out. Okay. And they lost to SMU last year. So that's two losses I'm chalking up. And then I think they lose to Oklahoma State. I think they – and I, I think, Brandon, I don't think you can argue this one. They're going to lose to Oklahoma and Texas. They'll lose to Oklahoma. They play at Texas, too, and I think Texas is a better team than TCU is. And I think they lose to Kansas State because they lost to them last year, and and Chris Kleiman has a better program this upcoming year. I think those are the six surefire losses. I like the argument that you're using that they lost to them last year. A lot of teams lose to teams last year, and then they they beat them next year. Time out. Uh, Hang on. SMU and Kansas State are going to be improved teams this year. TCU didn't add anybody outside of Zachary Evans, in my opinion, that was super special or changed really my opinion on them. So I think if they couldn't beat those two teams when they were down, I think SMU and Kansas State are better teams right now than TCU. All right. Uh, I mean, I'm not I'm not here to argue against you about, about him being on the hot seat. I, like I said, I definitely understand where you're coming from. It's just I, I don't – some of the arguments, man, you got to – yeah, tune them up. <laughs> so, Brandon, I'm going to list three games right now, and I want to I want you to rate your confidence that TCU is going to win this game on a scale of 1 to 10, all right? Okay. At Baylor. At Baylor? Ooh, wait, that's like a solid 2. Okay, so that could be a loss. Um, how about at West Virginia? Uh, I'm straight up, a t- that's a 10. 10 all day. 10. They, they lost to West Virginia last year when they had like the worst team in West Virginia history. Yeah, man, but it's it's still West Virginia and it's still Neil Brown's team. If I was going to put a second coach on the hot seat, it was going to be a Neil Brown. So, yeah, I think. I, I mean, hang Virginia. on. Wait, who's 
Neil Brown beat like two years ago when he was the head coach for Troy? Uh, I mean, why does that matter? He can win big games, man. I'm just saying. I, I don't. Why does that matter? You know. <laughs> um, Iowa State. Um, there's no Children's Hospital. It's the bad Iowa team, but still, I'm like a three. So you just listed two of the three tough games as losses, most likely. And let's say the six surefire losses are there. That's eight losses, Brandon. Do you think he survives a four and eight season? No, absolutely not. Not no, no way. And Brandon, so you were an LSU fan. You experienced this firsthand. At Les Miles was winning enough games that he should have probably been able to keep his job. Same for a coach like Mark Rick, right? Right. So don't you think this move toward younger coaches across this conference in Oklahoma going after Lincoln Riley, Texas has Tom Herman, Kansas State has Chris Kleiman, West Virginia has um, Neil Brown. I mean, how how interesting would it be for TCU to go after a new young head coach after having 20 years under Patterson? I mean, don't you think he kind of wore out his welcome in a way? And if he experiences his second straight losing season, I easily think that watching the, the TCU focusing on the other schools that they're competing with going younger, I think that could push them to force their hand and let Patterson go. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I definitely agree with you there. It, it's kind of shocking that he kept his job this year to me, to be to be completely honest with you. Um, I don't know. You just something – I understand his history there, and I understand they probably don't want to fire him because he's been there for 20 years. I mean, he's been there – what is this? This is going to be his 20th season here. Um, but at some point, man, you gotta you got to let go. Yeah, I completely agree. And I mean – for me, me and Brandon had two picks on pretty much every other hot seat segment that we've done. But with this conference, I just can't see it. I mean, Link and Riley is probably safe, even if Oklahoma goes 0-12. Right. They're not firing Link and Riley for anything. Tom Herman, in my opinion, is safe, barring a just complete disaster, which I don't see happening. I think Matt Campbell at Iowa State and Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State have good teams and – Really and truly, if they have a seven and five, six and six season, they'll make it through. And then I highlighted earlier, the rest of the coaches are pretty much just too new to fire. Les Miles it could maybe be, depending on what happens, but I think Kansas is tied to Les Miles at the hip for at least another two or three years. Yeah, uh, they got to ride it out with the hat. Yeah, I mean, and where and who is Kansas hiring that's better than Les Miles? Let's be and let's be honest here. I mean, Kansas didn't win a football game for like four years. <laughs> they didn't win a game for four years, and then they they won three. That's listen, <laughs> not mad at three wins. Yeah, I, I think you have to tailor expectations based on the program. And Kansas, get them three to four wins a year. It's a party in Lawrence, but we're going to move on third segment of the day, guys. And we're, we're back talking about uh, Talia Tagovailoa. Um, we covered the, his announcement, you know, that he was leaving Tuscaloosa and taking his talents elsewhere, but it didn't take long. And on May 15th, Tagovailoa announced his intentions to transfer to Maryland. Some may question the decision, but former Alabama offensive coordinator Mike Loxley is currently the head coach of the Terrapins. 
The connection between Loxley and Tagapaloa's family is strong. Plus, Maryland needs any help it can get after a 3-9 season last year. So, Brandon, what do you think about the decision here? And do you think this transfer can maybe save Loxley's job in this program moving forward? It, it might, man. Uh, more than anything, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind when I saw this transfer was uh, what are the Tagovailoa uh, brothers trying to do here? Are they trying to make the funniest move from Hawaii to a new state? Because, first of all, they went to Alabama. Oh, that's hilarious. They went from Hawaii, arguably one of the most, I mean, just beautiful states in the in the country. And then you just went to Alabama. You just went, not even like the Gulf in Alabama. You didn't even go to like the beach area. You went to... <laughs> He went to Birmingham, Alabama, or outside of Birmingham, Alabama. It's that's a tough move. Um, and then, I mean, Talia, he decides he wants to go to Maryland, which Maryland, beautiful. Don't get me wrong, but it's it, it's definitely a step. It's a step up as far as beauty goes from Alabama, but it's uh, man, it's not Hawaii. Um, I don't know. It's it's kind of weird to me that he went to Maryland. I, I kind of get that he probably wanted to go somewhere where he'd have a starting job um and maryland didn't have like an awful recruiting class this past year so he's probably got some decent teammates uh up there um but it kind of came as a shock to me uh you know and when when you were doing research for these episodes i mean we definitely looked to see where talia's uh landing spots were um when he entered the transfer portal and Maryland was on those lists, you know, whenever we were looking or whenever I was looking anyway. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird to me. I, I didn't understand why he was on it then. I never really saw a good explanation. Uh, I still don't really have a great explanation for why he's in Maryland. But, yeah, I mean, I think this yeah, very well might save, uh, save his job in Maryland. Uh, him and the recruits that are there, obviously. I don't think Talia is like – a super super talented player as far as like sec talent but as far as maryland talent goes yeah he's about to be a star so i mean i i, I hate the i hate the decision i get it but personally like i i, I can only uh in my opinion i feel like he had to get better offers right maybe <laughs> i mean i think i know where you're going with this Let's go ahead. I mean, I okay. Maryland needed a quarterback. I got you. I mean, Brandon, this past recruiting cycle, they had no quarterback commits. And then this offseason, they've had two quarterbacks transfer from the program, which only really, I think they only have two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. And their projected starter, Josh Jackson, only has one year of eligibility left. And Brandon, this is a wild stat for you. Maryland ranked second worst among Power Five teams in QBR last season. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to be. In Do you there. know who the team below them was? Who? Northwestern. Yeah, that's pretty good. Okay. That, that's that, that's that's real tough. Um, but you know, there's no signs that Maryland is competing for the Big Ten anytime soon. I mean. Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, Michigan State, Nebraska. All these teams have brighter futures than Maryland. And go back an episode or two ago when we covered, I think it was last episode where we covered the Big Ten hot seat watch. This schedule 
is brutal, guys. Absolutely brutal. And we struggled finding three to four wins for this team. And I, I really think Loxley's gone. And that seems to be yeah. the only reason I could think of that Tagovailoa committed here. And and the reason you're going to commit somewhere um, is not going to be there anymore. I mean, this could really set his career back in my my opinion. Yeah. I don't know, man, because like you said, I mean, I mean, Josh Jackson's there. Uh, one of the reasons while you were talking, I was, I was kind of looking at more like, explanations for why he transferred. Apparently his dad uh, said that he likes competition and he likes to be able to compete. He said since COVID-19 has kind of sprung up, he hasn't had a chance to compete at Alabama, so he probably wouldn't have the starting job. I don't know if he's going to be able to compete at Maryland. Um, I don't I don't know, man. It's it's I don't understand how that's uh how that's how that reasoning works here. But yeah, that's what that's what was given. So that's breaking news. Talia transferred because he wanted to compete, I guess. I don't know. I I don't think so. I mean, I think I think uh, Tagovailoa red shirt red shirts this year behind Jackson and aims for the job in twenty twenty one. I think he, he needs some how's development. He get a red shirt? Didn't he just red shirt this past season? No, no, he played five games for Bama last year. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah, so he played five games last year, so his red shirt is still there. So if he doesn't get a waiver, he could still red shirt next year. Um, you know, but. I really think he needs some development. I think he's going to be disappointed in this decision. I mean, personally, I think he transfers again, Brandon. Uh, this is a bold prediction. I think Loxley gets fired this year and Tagovailoa transfers again, and that's it. That's the last we hear of him. Uh, Brandon, can you name a player that transferred three times and had a successful career? Uh, I can name a player who transferred three times. Yeah, but did he did he have a super no, successful no, no, career? No, not at all. Uh, I mean, and this is really just adding to the rich history of Alabama transfer quarterbacks who, or tra- quarterbacks that transfer out of Alabama that just fade off into oblivion. I can see. Yeah, it. it's <laughs> it is uh, not a good look, and I, I really think it could he could waste his redshirt year. And Brandon, I'm gonna ask you something. Give this transfer a grade. What would you grade Tagovailoa's decision here? Like a D minus. It's not good. It's like <laughs> D barely, minus. It's just, it's just it's just barely passing, and like not like and like not if it's a, a course you need to graduate. Like this is like this is like elective passing. Oh. It's like if you Man. were in. It's like it's like if you already took music appreciation, then you decided to take art appreciation for fun, and you scrape by with like a sixty-two. It's bad. It's tough. Hmm. I mean, it hurts. Oh, that's real tough. That's real tough. Um, I'm gonna give it a C minus. I, I got you. Um, and it's only due to the uncertainty. If, if Loxley was guaranteed to stay there, I would maybe pull it up to a C to a B minus, but between Loxley's job and the mediocrity that we've seen from this program, I just, I don't see how he's successful here, Brandon. I I just, I, I really, really just can't see it. No, I mean, I, I don't think he's successful 
with Loxley, to be completely honest with you. I just, I've never really been a big believer in Talia. Um, you know, he's, he's not, he's not Tua. You know, I understand he, he's a Tagovailoa, but he's not, he's not Tua. And I don't know. He's, he's not great. I'll say that. It makes sense that he's at Maryland because he might, he might be like a good Maryland quarterback, but I don't, I really don't think he's a very good quarterback. I also don't think he is. I think he's a borderline power five starter. I, you know, he, can he start at Maryland? Yes, but is that is that the career path that when he was recruited to Alabama, anyone saw him taking? No, no, absolutely not. I mean, you. I think they're guaranteed no best. Let's see the in the Big Ten, Brandon. I mean, a best case scenario. Tolua takes over this job. What's the best finish you can ever envision him having in this conference? Um, not great because I mean, even just look at the division that they're in within the Big Ten. Uh, I mean, they have to play Penn State every year. They have to play Ohio State every year. They have to play Michigan every year. Michigan State every year. It's it's not looking great. I guess I guess they can beat Rutgers once once a season, and that's. Is that is that really a victory? And and with Greg Schiano coming back, who knows if that's a guarantee for much longer? I mean, Greg Schiano had Rutgers the number two team in the country. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm also not a big believer in Greg Schiano, but that's that's a discussion for another day. We'll, we'll throw that um, into the debate another day. But guys, we're gonna end that here. Let us know what y'all think. About Tua's, I mean not Tua's, uh, Tulua's decision. I always get them confused. I, I'd like, it, every, I almost feel bad calling him Tagovailoa, even though that's like actually his last name, because <laughs> I, I, I feel like Tua is just like clinched that last name. Like Tagovailoa is reserved for Tua, and that's it. Yeah, You're gonna have like, to change your last name or something. It's like stolen valor. It's it's it feels like a crime. Oh man, it's, it's real. It's, it's real tough, but uh, we're going to move on. Last segment of the day, guys. And it's one of y'all's favorite, and it's the recruiting update. We continue that here, and we've covered multiple programs that have had great starts to this recruiting cycle. Just a side note we're going to get to some of the classes that haven't done great very soon, but we're trying to knock out these really, really hot starts for you guys because we've gotten to cover programs like Minnesota, which we might not have got to cover if we would have waited. Um, but we're taking this segment all the way out to Austin, Texas to analyze what the Texas Longhorns are doing right now in this recruiting cycle. Brandon, I don't know if you knew this. I didn't. They've had three straight years of top 10 classes and they find themselves in the top 10 again. And this class is a loaded guys, seven top 400 recruits already committed. Brandon, what do you think about this class so far? Do you think, what do you think of Tom Herman's work on this recruiting class so far? And could Texas really be back? Uh, no, they're not back. I mean, they do this every single year. Like you said, you know, you said that you didn't know it. I knew it. Um, you know, you, you got to keep your enemies close. And so, you know, they're first place in the Big Ten right now. That's how where they finished last year. They finished ranked eighth in the country last last season as far as recruiting went. They're ninth right now. I mean, you might be able to expect them to go up a little bit in that. But their average rating right now is lower than it was last season, and I just don't see that getting a lot higher. Um, they've already nailed down one to, uh, one five-star recruit here uh, uh, in Jatavian Sanders. Um, 
he's listed as an athlete and so is their second highest recruit by the way uh billy bowman uh they're both they're both athletes out of out of denton texas uh which leads me to my next point 10 of their recruits are from texas one's from louisiana um so basically what they've done is they've cornered the market on texas which if you can do that you're always going to have a great class um and and then obviously you know the one player out of louisiana is a three-star he's a wide receiver uh, Casey Kane, which is a very good player, by the way. Um, and they're all very good athletes. Like I said, uh, I don't know how well they'll perform. I, I mean, it, to me, it seems like Texas always has these great athletes. They, they always have players that, uh, that can, that look really good on paper. I mean, let's take Sam Ellinger, for example, looks great on paper. Um, ask him to perform in a big game and his arm turns into a noodle. So that's, I don't know. <laughs> it, I, I don't want to bash Texas too much because I do hate them. Um, and I don't want to be super biased in this. So, yeah, I mean, I th- obviously a top 10 class is always good, but what do I think they do with it? Uh, not a whole lot. Uh, I don't know, man. I mean, so well, well, let's just highlight this class first before we get to, you know, like Brandon's the world's ending over here. Um, the world's you know, not ending. As a- My world's getting a lot better, as a matter of fact. <laughs> I mean, I have a totally different take on this class than you do. I think, you know, let's just highlight this. As of today, Texas has the number one class in the Big 12, and I think it keeps that top spot. Yes, Oklahoma still has some spots to fill, but Brandon, so we've covered classes like Tennessee and Minnesota who just are up in the top 10 due to sheer numbers. Texas right now only has the third most commits in their conference and are still number one. They've landed the only five-star in the Big 12 right now, and they have the most four-star commits in the conference right now. So that's so they don't they might not they have a little bit of quantity, but it's mostly quality driving the ranking of this class. But the flip side to that is Tom Herman's running out of excuses, guys. Uh with classes like this, the talent is there. There's yeah. no more. Hey, I got. I have to build up this program. Nah, man, it is built. It, it it's ready to go. And like Brenda said, they've built a wall around Texas, man. They've landed three of the top ten players in Texas and six of the top fifty from the state of Texas. And they are in a a deep, horrible battle with Alabama for you know the number one recruit in the state and Tommy Brockemeyer. Who is the who's the number one offensive tackle in the country? He's a stud, another five star. Texas is leading right now, according to the Crystal Ball vote. But to highlight some people in this class, I mean, Brandon, have you, did you have a chance to go through and watch the film on some of these guys? Yeah, I watched film on almost all of them. Yeah, and they're like I said, very talented, very good athletes. Listen, guys, Jatavion Sanders. He's ranked as the number one athlete in the country, number 24 national player. As a five-star out of Denton, Texas. You know, we're used to seeing the athlete classification reserved for people who play both sides of the ball with wide receiver, DB, running back, sometimes quarterback, right? This kid plays mainly defensive end, Brandon. No, I know. And still got classified as an athlete. Yeah. That that shows his potential – it, as a, I mean, guys, he had over he was, ten sacks last season, and had almost and had over seven hundred yards receiving too. Do you want to know why he's listed as an athlete, Zach? He's listed as an athlete because he's six three, two twenty, and a defensive end. 
He's not going to be a defensive yeah, well, in college. No, he's he's going to move into a an edge slash like slash outside linebacker position. I had that in my notes. I was getting there. Out of everybody who follows recruiting, Brandon, do not question. I was getting there. I uh-huh. understand how small this kid is, and if he puts on weight, he can easily be someone like um, Kalevion Chason from LSU. That's just a tall, lanky edge rusher, uh, and. I think this kid's really good. I think this kid is going to be a day one starter. But, you know, there's two other prospects in this class who I'm much more excited for. The first one being Billy Bowman. What a name. That That is just the most Texas name of all time. Billy Bowman. I love it. He's the number two athlete in the country, number 36 nationally, and is going to be a borderline five-star and could move up depending on the re-rankings. But he's another two-way star, wide receiver, and DB. Um, everything I've read said Texas is most likely going to put him at defensive back. But as you guys know, things change when kids get on campus. And Brandon, do you know why I'm so excited for this kid? Mm, why? He has eight interceptions this, this past two seasons. He returned six of those eight for touchdowns. Yeah, that's, that's nuts. That that is outrageous, guys. That uh, he returns almost every single interception he's. And this year, he his past year he had three interceptions, all of them for touchdowns. His ball skills and the abilities to make plays is just a huge is going to be a problem for the Big Twelve. I mean, it, Brandon, when you play in a conference like the Big Twelve, I don't understand why more Big Twelve teams don't go out and try to get better DBs. I mean, if you have a conference that constantly passes the ball and you got to play Oklahoma every year. Wouldn't you like some DBs to be able to defend players like CD lamb? Instead, we see that being the biggest holes on these big 12 teams. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, sorry. I'm watching a little bit of his tape right now. Um, he's, he's definitely going to be a DB. I'm watching, I'm watching him play wide receiver. He's, he's good. Don't get me wrong. He's absolutely, I mean, he, he deserves all, all four of those stars and he probably deserves a fifth one. Uh, but he's going to be an insane defensive back. Yes. I mean, his wide receiving skills are decent, but DB is where he, you can, when you watch the film, guys, go tell. watch, go check out his huddle highlights. It, the DB looks so much more natural. This kid is a true, uh, this kid should be playing in the SEC with his D, DB skills. But Brandon did mention this. You know, we talked about Sam Ellinger, but he's gone after this season for Texas. And, there's really not a clear replacement in a lot of people's minds, but Texas does have Jalen Milrow, the number four dual threat quarterback, 81 national to fill that void that Ellinger is going to leave. You know, as a, as a junior, he's already six to 200 pounds, which gives him room to put more weight on that frame. And he's ultra athletic and is the perfect quarterback for the Texas system. He runs a four, six already, Threw for over 2,600 yards and 29 touchdowns last season, but also kept his INTs low with only eight. I think this kid is the future of Texas football and is going to be someone to watch to maybe start as a true freshman when he gets on campus. Yeah, I've seen some of his tape, and yeah, he's definitely impressive. Um, You think that he'll start as a true freshman? I I really don't love a lot of the backups Texas Texas has right now. I think he'll go through some growing pains, 
But I think it'll be a situation kind of like Bo Nick stepped into where there's not a clear replacement and he just has to grow up in front of everybody. And you're going to have to go through some tough games like we saw Bo Nix go through at Florida where he doesn't play well on the road and has to mature through some tough times. And I could see him doing the similar thing when he gets to Austin. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I can't say that I know as much about Texas's. uh, backup quarterbacks as you do Zach but yeah I'll I guess you're right (laughs) so Brandon looking at this recruiting class is there a recruit that might not be super highly ranked that you could see being you know an under the radar prospect to 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 watch yeah I already mentioned him actually Uh, Casey Kane this wide receiver out of New Orleans um, I, I got a chance to watch his uh, some of his tape and this kid I mean he might not be the fastest kid on the field but um, give him a little time, let him develop a little bit. Uh, he's he's a very uh, he's a very physical wide receiver. I'll say that. Um, he'll go up and grab a ball. Go watch his tape. He's not huge by any means. Six two one seventy five, which is actually I mean a decent size for for a college wide receiver. Um, and he's still got room to. I mean, we could see him by the time he's in the by the time he's a senior or junior or senior. I mean, he could get up to two hundred easy. Um, but yeah, he's he's a player to watch out for for sure. I like that pick. I've, I've I've also watched some of his film. Really, really good player. I mean, I don't know if a lot of you know offensive linemen are really hard to talk about on a podcast because you can't really. We do this, you know, we don't do this podcast live live stream, so we can't put up the highlights or anything. But Hayden Connor, the offensive tackle they have committed, he's a four star out of Katy, Texas, and this kid as a sophomore, Brandon, is almost six six, three hundred and seventeen pounds. Right. And uh, when I'm telling you, this kid is the prototypical offensive lineman you want to see. I mean, the only thing I think he needs to work on is his speed. He runs a five four, but when you're also, you know, as big as this kid is, I mean, he's no ta- he's he's no Tristan Worse, but he definitely is like an Andrew Thomas. I mean, he, he he just is a beast. Go watch his film. He is mauling people, and he's a grown man playing in high school and it's almost unfair and i guess if you're texas you do need some offensive linemen because oklahoma always has one linebacker slash defensive end that just seems to wreck the big 12 and i'm looking at kenneth murray this past year right is this a potential uh decommit though for texas hayden connor i know i know he i know he committed this uh this past year a lot of kids do that. They're they're ju- they're sophomore junior seasons and then end up decommitting. It definitely could be. I mean, we have a topic on Q for future episodes talking about could we see just insane amounts of decommits once visits are allowed to happen? And I think it could be. I mean, I think there's a lot of teams. I. I you know, once we get to that segment, I'll break it down more. But I think teams like Tennessee that are way high in the rankings and got some players that they usually don't get could be the biggest victims of the decommit bug that I think is going to hit uh, hit college football this fall. Yeah, and this is just something that I mean, out of curiosity, uh, last night actually, when, once I got in um, to where I'm staying, uh, I started looking at. Uh, a couple of players on two four seven that I hadn't looked at in a while. A couple of players from that are already like in college and like well into their careers. Um, and I ended up taking a look at Miles Brennan, and I somehow forgot that he just like decommitted from LSU like four times. And so that's 
I don't know. It, that, that's definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, he's a player. The only reason I ask is because his crystal ball still says that he's 100% Texas A&M. So I, I don't know. Uh, it easily could be. And I mean, with a state like Texas, man, and we talked on the podcast about players are going to start committing closer to home due to the COVID outbreak. But once they can start taking those visits elsewhere, those other programs are going to look real good. You don't think a player from Texas who might not have got to visit Clemson, Alabama, LSU yet is going to not, you know, really reconsider their commitment once once Coach O, Dabo, or Saban gets them on campus? Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, I mean, just give it I time. Mean, uh, we talked about Bowman that's committed. I mean, he looks like he's he he should be playing in the SEC for sure. And I think, you know, once these coaches, you know, people forget coaches haven't got to travel and see these kids in person in a while. What happens, you know, when Nick Saban or someone comes to their games and gets to see them live? And a lot of these players that could be going other places could be could pop up on other teams radars and it could change the whole landscape of the of recruiting. Right, right, definitely. And another thing, I mean, the decommitment thing is going to be huge if some programs can't play football. Oh, my goodness, yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, uh, what happens to USC's amazing recruiting class if California announces that there will be no football season this fall? Right, I mean, these recruits aren't going to sit around and be like, oh, I can't play next year. They're going to want to go. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, they can't even train. I mean, if they're not playing football, they're not going to – you think they're really going to let their team get out there and practice? That defeats the entire purpose of what they're trying to do. Exactly. I mean, so I think there's a lot of what-if factors in terms of when players decommit, and I think – but we're going to cover it. One of these upcoming episodes, one of these up up and coming episodes about how and why we could see that. But guys, for right now, that is a wrap on this episode. Um, yeah, we're going to try to keep a consistent schedule Monday, Thursday, but stuff happens. So forgive us. Check out the episode. Subscribe everywhere. Podcast episodes available literally everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, you name it. We are there. Um, subscribe, rate the podcast where you can, uh, tell your friends, family, coworkers, people passing by on the street. You know what? Even put it on your face mask. We'll send out stickers, put it, put it on your mask that you wear out. We don't, we want to get out there. We want to entertain everyone who wants to some more college football content, but we'll be back later this week. Um, social media, Instagram at the underscore blue bloods. Follow us on there. Twitter at the underscore underscore blue bloods. Follow us there as well. And finally, like us on Facebook, the blue bloods pod. And yeah, we post everything on there. Episode clips, announcements, uh, just random social media posts. We're in the works trying to get some more social media polls and stuff going like that. We know y'all love that. All the voting for all decade team, the brackets. We're in works for that. Also in works for merch. Stay tuned there. We want to get you guys merch as soon as possible. We are working on that. Um, but yeah, guys, keep subscribing, keep listening, and we will keep dropping episodes. That is how this thing works. But for right now, we out.
was really mean to call them my favorite team. It's the meanest thing you could have done. I apologize.